Hello, my name is Ken Carter, and I serve as the Bishop of the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, and this is the Own Mission Together podcast. Uh, we are sending this out to you during the season of the coronavirus, COVID-19. This is profoundly changing all of our lives across our planet. Uh, and uh, United Methodist across Florida are, are in the midst of that. And so we wanted to just sort of reach out to you, have a conversation. Thanks for listening. And I invited two really remarkable people to sort of to sort of lead this conversation today. Megan Killingsworth is the co-pastor of First United Methodist Church in Sanford. And, and Dan Wunderlich is the pastor of Lakeside United Methodist Church in Sanford. Uh, and they both have a lot to share with us. So I think I'll get started maybe with Dan. Dan, you host a podcast. You, you lead workshops on technology in relation to ministry. What has occurred to you over the last few weeks as, uh, as technology has just come to the center of how, uh, of how we are trying to connect with the world? Uh, well, first off, thank you, Bishop, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, I do host a podcast um, called Art of the Sermon. I also host the church marketing podcast for United Methodist Communications. And so I've had a lot of time over the last couple of years to think about using digital tools um, alongside of ministry. But I can't say I ever anticipated being uh, having the need to suddenly switch to almost all digital tools uh, almost immediately. And let me first say, even for someone that spent a lot of years thinking about all this and researching it and trying to implement them alongside ministry, even for myself, this is a big and jarring shift. So if this is brand new on anyone's radar and you're feeling completely lost and left behind, uh, let me know. Even people who are let, I want to let you know that even people who have been thinking about this for a long time are feeling the same way. Um, I would say the most important thing that has occurred to me over these last couple days is, is you've heard no doubt for a couple years now that the church is competing for people's attention. And we're not just competing with other churches. And the great thing is Megan and I are both in Sanford and we are not in competition. We are our partners in ministry and I value that. But we're, you know, we're, we're competing against Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and all this. Well, now with everything being moved online, kind of our competitive advantage was that we could meet in person and we could have in-person connections and we could build that kind of personal connection that only comes with meeting in person. Well, during this season, our church, at least my church, is not meeting in person and many of your churches may not be meeting in person. So it feels like we've lost our competitive advantage. And so now we're not just competing with um, all of these things. But let me tell you, pastoring in Sanford, we're 30 minutes from downtown Orlando with the Amway Center where the magic play and all the big concerts come. We're 45 minutes from Disney. Um, the, the thought that we are going to try to make what we do online even more flashy, even more entertaining, even more engaging than all the things we are already supposedly competing with, we're going to lose that battle really quickly. Um, literally, as we're recording it yesterday afternoon, John Legend did an acoustic concert from his living room on Instagram Live. 
I can't think of anything I can do that is going to be more entertaining than John Legend doing an acoustic concert from his living room. And so we have to lean into our competitive advantage of those relationships and find ways not to use this technology to try to compete with big churches or compete with the endless number of comedians and musicians and celebrities that are coming online now. But we need to use our online tools uh, to lean into the kind of connections and relationship building we've already been working on. So it's not about uh, completely throwing out our playbook and trying something new. It's about using new tools to do what we've already been doing well. Uh, that's really, really helpful. And uh, I love uh, the the lead into relationships. Uh, Megan, you are a, a very relational person and pastor. And I noticed recently that you sort of sent out a word that you were going to bring a group together on Google Hangouts. And so I'd like to just ask you to describe for people what that is and then what it was like for people to get together. Um, Bishop, thank you so much for having me as well. Um, this is fun, even though Dan and I's churches are down the street from each other. Um, we haven't seen each other in a few days. So yeah. hi, Dan. Um, <laughs> um, well, so my instinct, um, my gut, having been in a social work background, is always that people closest to the problem are people closest to the solution. So my fear um, was that we would get together, we would um, kind of host a bunch of folks, and that there would be an expectation that someone came with answers. Um, but what was really beautiful was we brought together pastors across denominations, actually, um, from medium-sized churches, small churches, um, in different locations in the country, and just talked about what we were processing. Um, this is the second time we've hosted one. So I hosted one this morning, and we did one earlier uh, a few days ago. And we start with, what is keeping you afloat in this difficult time? Um, because I'm aware that pastors are taking care of so many people and church leaders. We had lay folks and um, clergy included on the call. And so we asked, you know, personally, what's keeping you afloat? And then what kind of challenges are you dealing with? And we've addressed two things in both calls. Um, how are you transforming the ministry you were doing before to be more digital or to be more accessible? And the second question we asked is, in what ways are you coming up with new ministry because of new needs emerging or new opportunities? How is this kind of a generative time for being creative? And what was so cool was um, we had folks who were from Episcopal churches in Texas and um, somebody who works for the a conference in North Carolina um, and a lay leader and some clergy. You know, we had a kind of a different group of folks, but what kind of brought the group together was not only um, a desire to do ministry in this time and place, but also compassion for one another. So there was really some space to process, to get good information, um, and also to try and make the wisest decision. So it was like half fun hanging out and half kind of strategizing. Yeah, that sounds, sounds great. Uh, you, Dan mentioned competitive advantage. Uh, and I think about how churches have uh, kind of unique assets and strengths. And so First Sanford, where Megan, where you and David uh, lead, uh, is, is a very missional church. And so one question people are, are asking, maybe struggling with during the COVID-19 experience across, these, uh, across this extended time is, uh, 
if we're being asked to distance ourselves socially from others, what does that mean for the what does that mean for the most vulnerable, maybe materially in our communities? Uh, just for those relationships, for the for the the life we share together, your church shares that life together. Uh, what what have what have you all been uh, doing in that area? Well, because we have three hot meals a week that happen on our campus, um, our church is very much a sense of home for folks who otherwise don't really have anywhere to call home. And so, the shifting of our meals away from gathering in a close tight space where everyone's laughing and having fun and getting table service, um, that obviously we needed to shift that. So what we decided to do was try and figure out how we could live out the same values that we have, but in a different way. And so one of the things that's helpful is that folks who live on the streets in our community are incredibly conscious of trying to give back to others. Yeah. And so in a time when we've had a lot of volunteers for good reason, um, you know, kind of stay at home or not be able to assist with our new alternative food plan, um, there are folks from the community who are willing to assist in unloading the truck and in organizing things, obviously with gloves and masks and all of that kind of stuff. So a big piece of the belonging in our community is that everybody has something to give and everybody has something to learn. And so we've been able to maintain values like that in some alternative formats. Um, one of the other things that's been helpful is that most of the folks in our community do not have access, instant access to information. And so we've tried to be a place where they could get reliable, helpful information and um, where we can still be checking in with one another, obviously at a safe distance. Um, but we want to make sure that the community who is living on the streets um, is not left out continually. Um, one of the things we've noticed has been very helpful is in this crisis, and I'm really grateful for this, populations who we otherwise would have ignored, um, populations that our culture is organized to ignore, folks who live on the streets, folks who are incarcerated and folks who are homebound, those people already have skills for dealing with isolation, for, for dealing with kind of reorganizing and adjusting to crisis that those of us who have a little more privilege don't have. Yeah. And so those folks in our community who are much better at um, adjusting, uh, those folks who have been incarcerated before have some really great mental health practices. I was just talking to a guy in the park this morning who was saying, you know, after he spent about seven months in isolation when he was doing time inside, he started to create daily rhythms for himself so that he could feel like a person, even though he didn't have much control. And so that's been helpful is kind of sharing information um, and learning from one another and, and still engaging our meal ministries. We've shifted from hot meals to doing grocery distribution because it's a little bit of a safer practice, less hands involved. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Uh, Dan, let me, uh, to turn back to you again, uh, if people are trying to communicate a sermon and you're a very gifted preacher, uh, what are some um, changes they might have to make as they maybe prepare messages that are only going to go out in a digital format? 
That's a great question. And um, <clears throat> I will say that the first thing is don't underestimate the ability people have to connect through a screen. Yeah. I think I think we make the assumption that if it's on a screen and it's not in person, we lose the vast majority of the power of it. Um, and I just don't think that that's true. I used to think that that's true. And I will forever and always prefer preaching to a room full of people rather than to my laptop webcam. And I will always prefer listening to a live preacher. But I think so much of our life is through screens now. Um, and particularly with younger generations uh, who spend so much time on social media, um, so much of their life is through screens that this doesn't seem odd. P perhaps what is odd isn't um, that there is stuff on the screens, but that all of these preachers have finally decided to show up um, where they are. Um, and so perhaps the, uh, the best piece of advice I would have is to not... Um, sort of the, the same the same advice you'd have on a mission trip. You're not bringing Jesus with you to a place that doesn't have Jesus. Um, you're, you're showing up uh, to meet where the Spirit is already active. Um, and so when you're preaching digitally, um, you know, and in fact, I'm thinking about there's some, there's some fairly well-known preachers out there, uh, and, and I won't name any of them, but they're not particularly necessarily United Methodist preachers, but so much of their delivery seems to be relying upon the energy of the room um, and the response of, of the folks. And, you know, even, even myself, I like to tell jokes and, and uh, ask rhetorical questions and, and acknowledge individual people like that is, that's a tool in my toolbox that is going to be harder um, to utilize during this time. But I would say there are unique strengths to preaching uh, digitally, particularly if you're doing it through a live streaming setting. Like if you're just, if you're filming your sermon and you're going to upload it, that's a little bit different. But if you're presenting your, um, your church service via Facebook live, or you're doing a devotion or you're sharing your message somehow, um, try to, even if you have to bring your phone or your iPad to the stand with you and be playing the feed alongside with the sound all the way down, you have the opportunity to interact with folks and respond to feedback in real time as you're preaching your message. Now, that's going to be very different for a lot of us. We may not be used to doing that. Um, there actually is a pastor up in North Carolina who incorporates feedback and question and answers uh, during his regular preaching practice. Um, and I did an interview with him. Uh, his name's Brian Combs, and you can look for him on the Art of the Sermon podcast um, but I would say, you know, worry less about crafting this really engaging top to bottom experience if unless you're, you know, filming it and uploading it later. But if, particularly if you're doing it live, take advantage of the strengths uh, and the unique features of preaching live. So perhaps you ask questions and give people a chance to respond or, um, you know, in incorporate interaction. Um, it's it's. Um, Doing doing worship over over the internet, particularly if you are in an empty room, that is not the same as simply setting up a corner in the back of a live gathering and letting people who are far away see it. You know, we really need to to shift our perspective on on what it is and what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a next question. I uh, just want to ask a couple of uh, further questions. Thank you for the conversation. You both uh, 
are uh, pastors of churches, uh, which meant in the United Methodist Church, you you tr- you went to undergraduate school for four years and seminary for three years. Uh, and so you prepared yourself for ministry. And so you probably see the question that's coming. Uh, <laughs> you might never have anticipated ministry in a time like this. So what what just uh, what are you learning about yourselves? Maybe first, Megan. What are you learning about yourselves as a as a pastor that you weren't quite prepared for? It could be something really wonderful. But what are you what are you learning about yourself and and your ministry? Um. I have learned more about myself in the last week than I was interested in learning. Um, (laughs) I am learning a great deal about my limitations. Um, But I think I'm also really grateful that um, I had a mentor who said, when you're clear on what you believe, it's easier to make decisions. And um, her name was Elizabeth Crow. And um, she really gave me that gift. So now that's what I've been kind of coming back to. I'm not sure what it means. I already wasn't sure what it meant to be a pastor in the United Methodist Church in this time, in this country, in in this place. So now I'm just definitely not sure. Um, But I keep having Miss Elizabeth's inspiration in the back of my head be clear about what my values are, and that helps to determine where to spend energy and time and how to prioritize our day. Amen. And Dan? I would say that I was not aware how much I relied on uh, in-person interaction to maintain relationships. Um, I guess it would make sense if I recognize the fact that I'm really not connected to anyone from high school anymore and all these things like that. I tend to just, I'm, I'm an in-person connector uh, and so over this last week, um, I, I would certainly call even this this far into my career, um, pastoral care is a growth edge for me. Uh, I have strengths in other areas. And um, this has certainly been a time where, you know, the weak links in your ministry are going to get tested, whatever they are. Um, and, and certainly mine is making sure that I am intentionally staying connected with folks and not just relying on the fact that I'll see them in a couple days. Uh, Cause I might not see them in a couple days. Um, I might run into them at target, but even then we're going to be at a distance and uh, it's not going to be the same. And so um, I would say for me, I'm learning a lot about uh, a lot about my weaknesses and, um, and, and then too, also just boundaries. Uh, you know, so many of the, I saw a tweet today, like, so many of the the families have turned their homes into summer camps, and this is like day two. Uh, and so many pastors are doing multi you know day uh, Bible studies and devotions. And I'm going to be on here every night, and we're going to read a good night story to all the kids every night. And like we're just if we're not careful, we are going to completely burn ourselves out by about the middle of next week. Yeah. Um, and so I would say I would say. Um, I, I'm I'm coming to see my weaknesses through all this. That's a great word uh, of guidance. Uh, well, just a last question, uh, and I prepped you for this one. Uh, <laughs> I know both of your households, uh, both of your spouses and your children, and and so just a, a simple question: uh, How uh, what's this like to be the parent of a young child uh, in the midst of this coronavirus? season? 
Um, well, I'll say I have a very curious three-year-old, you know, Moses is, um, asking lots of questions and, um, it's been interesting to try and explain what's going on to him. Um, I find myself at a loss for words in explaining things like this to adults, um, let alone to kids. So it's been interesting trying to protect Moses from some portion of the craziness. I mean, the amount of news we could intake isn't good for anyone, um, let alone having that kind of running around in his head. But I also think trying to figure out how do I um, have a conversation with a three-year-old about you can't have any more gummies today. And also um, we're trying to keep everybody safe by staying home, but you, but I don't need you to be worried that all of your friends are sick. Um, right. So yeah, that's, that's just been really, um, yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Uh, my daughter's a little bit younger. She just turned two. And so she's not really cognizant or aware of what's going on. Um, so I would say my primary concern right now is making sure that I'm not, um, putting stress on her that she doesn't understand or maybe doesn't realize where it's coming from. Uh, and so I'm trying my best to, to switch off when I'm home. Both my wife and I are full-time uh, employees and, and have full-time jobs. And and uh, right now, the our grandparents on both sides are, have got a few uh, symptoms, not of the coronavirus, but of sicknesses that are still, it's, it's smarter if they don't come and help yet. So we've been basically doing half days at work and half days of parenting and, and just trying to be cognizant of when I'm dad... Um, you know, I'm dad. And if there are moments where I can sneak in checking Slack or email or, or Facebook, just to make sure I'm, I'm up on any, um, you know, emergencies or things that come up. But, you know, I'd say with my daughter right now, the main thing is just trying to keep uh, our house a, a fun and enriching environment for her. Cause she just, you know, if she feels the stress from me, she's not really going to understand where it's coming from or why. So that's my, my primary concern two days <laughs> into no, right. no daycare. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Megan. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom in what you've shared. I think, Megan, what you said about how the vulnerable can be our teachers uh, in this time uh, and, and how they, they live often in a perpetual uh, crisis uh, that, and we, our, our privilege keeps us from that, but they can be our teachers. And Dan, just your, your word about pacing ourselves and not being competitive. And so, uh, so I really want to thank you both for the conversation, Megan Killingsworth and Dan Wonderlich. Uh, wish you God's blessings uh, in your families and your ministries. Uh, and all who are listening, thank you also, and God bless you.